0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. It has been a pretty good week. I hope you have had a great week as well, even though the craziest part was getting a claim where someone ran over a kid. And I don't know what was worse that they ran the kid over even though the bus stop had the sign up that said stop motherfucker or the fact that they ran the kid over stopped a little down the road to see what they actually hit and kept on moving that's fucked up and because this is the world in which we live in when i told my coworker, they was like well i know what i was like when i was 16 <laughs> Like, damn okay you was that type of kid of course i've stated it on here before but the height of my rebellion when i was 16 is that i skipped school to go to the library not to jump on the internet mind you to find me a comfortable spot to read a book that i selected from the bookshelves <laughs> and he got the biggest tickle out of that he just he <laughs> he just kept saying it all day like you skipped school to go to the library so you don't have to keep rubbing it in like i'm the lamest person ever geez i had i had uh priorities (laughs) when you grow up in a house and it's nine fucking people trust me having some peace of quiet is a luxury but that is not what we're here to talk about we're here to learn and the first thing we're going to learn about is the almost 14th state because there were 13 colonies if you recall from history class all that time ago but there almost was a 14th entitled franklin at the close of the american revolution the newly formed u.s congress was deep in debt so much so that they reneged on paying the french for all of their assistance and monies they lended us which was pretty much like three years worth of their their yearly deficit Like a lot of people were blaming the French Revolution on the spending of the aristocracy and of the king and queen, but compared to what they lent the Americans during the, during the revolution, it's, that's what sent the fucking country over the edge, not the king and queen. That being said, in 1784, the province of North Carolina voted to see 29 million acres of land between the Alec guinea mountains and the mississippi river to congress to ease its financial woes the u.s government had two years to accept responsibility for the area however in the meantime western settlements on this land fear that they would be left to handle the nearby cherokee people alone or even that congress would sell the territory off to a foreign entity because back then america was not all under the same ideas well they were under the same ideas but not the same leadership a few months later north carolina rescinded its offer after a re-evaluation reclaiming authority over the land now eastern tennessee unhappy with north carolina's governance over the area frontiermen from the region sought to establish their land as a separate independent state called franklin in august of 1784 delegates from the counties in question gathered in jonesboro elected leaders for their new state and drafted a state constitution because you couldn't do this back then this to me was a huge part of the civil war because slavery truly came in at the end like that was an afterthought just to keep the british out of intervening on the side of the south because they really wanted their cotton and states had their own individual rights to the point where they did not acknowledge an actual government federal government over all the bodies of the state so part of the civil war was the fact that the southern states wanted to cede from the northern states that's what popped everything off the constitution of the state of franklin uh, reads on may 16 1785 they petitioned the congress for statehood seven out of the 13 existing u.s provinces voted in favor this was less than the two-thirds majority required by the articles of confederation not that was not what the constitution of the state of franklin <laughs> entailed just how it was presented Attempting to bolster their petition, Franklin leaders changed the name of the area to Franklin instead so of Frank Land and attempted to garner support from founding father Benjamin Franklin. Because why not? Though he declined, Franklinites existed in their own little republic for just over four years, expanding their territory gradually by seizing it from the indigenous population. After conflict with the North Carolina administration, the Franklin government collapsed in early 1789 and the North Carolina and North Carolina resumed full control of the land. Not long after, North Carolina voted again to cede the area to Congress and it became part of the Southwest territory, eventually known as Tennessee. Fun fact, folk hero, Davy Crockett was born in the state of Franklin and his father was a passionate Franklinite bonus fact on benjamin franklin did you know for the eternity of his life he would sit in front of open windows in the morning because he believed that bad air was the reason that made you sick so he he would wash then get naked and sit in front of his windows with the with them all open in a way to make himself immune to getting sick And everyone else had to watch the show. The nude man show. Crazy motherfucker named Joe. He was also an absolute whore. But that's a story for another time. Let's talk about the world's most bigamous person in history. And no, it wasn't a man. It was a woman named Yang Mei. Yang Mei was married an astonishing 900 times. Give or take a few. Uh, Whoa, man. Whoa, man. She was a thief. You gotta believe. She stole my heart and my cat. 900 men in just over two decades. Her husband hunting spree began in 1993 when she realized that she could make some quick money just by getting hitched. She would marry men, usually poor farmers, then divorce them a few days later. The men... Would each have to pay a small fee for the divorce and yang may would pocket the cash at her peak she was raking in around eight thousand dollars a month however her scheme eventually caught up with her and funnily enough it wasn't at the end of a machete she was arrested in 2011 she was sentenced to four years in prison although it's unclear whether she ever served any time behind bars because bigamy is not one of the most uh what's the word one wants to use highly considered crimes (laughs) everybody knows you should at least look at their facebook then you would have saw all them photos like hold on the fuck y'all 900 men didn't talk to each other it's not their fault that they was taken for everything they had but at the same time it's not like this was some predatory she had no formal education she just saw a loophole and took advantage of it history may not remember her name but yang Mei will certainly go down as one of its most bizarre characters From a bigamist to bigotry, let's talk about some unknown history. Once again, from the United States. Between 1850 and 1870, more than 200,000 immigrants entered the U.S. from China. In response, Congress passed several acts to limit the further entrance of Chinese or other East Asians. First, the Page Act of 1875 barred undesirable immigrants such as Chinese women who engaged in prostitution, making it much more difficult for any Chinese or East Asian woman to enter the United States. That's why you see a lot of photos of male Asian men working those railroads because that's the only job that they could get. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 further banned all Chinese labor immigrants for 10 years regardless of sex. Then in 1892, after the 10-year period defined by the Chinese Exclusion Act came to a close, the Gary Act was passed. What did this do? Practically renewed the Chinese Exclusion Act for another 10 years and further required that all Chinese residents register for a permit as proof proof of their residence by the next April. Violations of this law would be punishable by deportation or a year of penal labor after another 10 years the gary act would be renewed with no terminal date so just imagine you immigrated to the u.s you got into the country you did it so you can make a better life for you and your family you start working you save up some money you think you can bring them over and then the united states that you're working ever so hard for says you know I don't think we need more of you and that's it a few months after the acts passage chinese across the united states began to organize in resistance from coast to coast chinese groups like the chinese consolidated benevolent association urged chinese people to avoid registering and instead fundraise for legal representation the law was unconstitutional they claimed and it was by April 1893, the act's deadline, only about 3,000 Chinese had registered out of an estimated 110,000 living in the United States. Many that refused to register did take legal action and the issue appeared before the Supreme Court in Fang Yuting versus United States that year. The court ruled in a 5-3 decision to uphold the law. In 1896, a second case brought before the court wong wing versus united states invalidated the imprisonment and forced labor penalties outlined in the Geary act because they conflicted with the right to court and due process under the fifth and sixth amendments ultimately implementation of the act became nearly impossible as only about 14 percent of the chinese people throughout the country ever registered thus the u.s government was left with the unforeseen task and cost of arresting and deporting upwards of 85,000 unregistered individuals. Though essentially moot, the Gary Act nonetheless remained in effect throughout the early 1900s until 1943, when Congress repealed all Exclusion Acts. So why did I pick this story? Two reasons, one, I think there is a misconception that for every for every uh abomination of treatment in the past was never met with any type of resistance we do kind of talk about the underground railroad and how people helped each other get away within the slave trade but it's not just the slave trade and it's not just the slaves that were being uh, bigoted against now of course that does not mean because some people really and kind of need to do better at that <laughs> stop thinking because you make one statement that means you're invalidating the slave trade and its impact no it's just have some emotional maturity other people suffered too it wasn't just us maybe now down to our degradation but yeah they didn't see chinese people as people not only that up until the 1940s up until world war ii did we decide and not to mention if you know anything about world war ii we were taking japanese and putting them in internment camps just like the nazis so the second point that i wanted to bring up and why i chose this story is the idea that sometimes people think that that racism is so far in the past Right, that's a lot of the context for non for for racists or or people that're like, oh, well, that happened so long ago, and you know, why are we so still struggling with this? And it was just a no, this was a generation ago, two generations ago, that that people were giving actual rights by the Constitution itself. So no, it didn't happen a long time ago. It's very recent history for the U.S. And that's why it's still very much in the news, continuously talked about, because we don't even know most of the stories about exactly how this country kept most of its black and brown people down. And I think the more we educate ourselves is the more we're getting a little outraged (laughs) and why it's so prevalent and relevant today, because we're just now getting out of the the point in history where you're considering us people with rights which for everyone rights are just privileges I have the right to say something to someone else and they have the right to kill me for saying it because they're all privileges (laughs) they're privileges we just we made these things up and as George Carlin would say and it's not to say it's a bad thing but Don't walk around with this sense of entitlement to the things that you think are your rights when they're really not. And they can be taken away at any time. But I do know that there are places and we've gotten better, right? In society of making sure we're trying to combat that so it does not slip back into where it was before. Where the Supreme Court is literally knocking down your right to to be a citizen when you immigrated to this country as such to be remembered by history you have to be a very special individual to be so recalled out of the millions and billions of people that have existed which leads us to lord timothy dexter who actually wasn't really a lord but an uneducated leather craftsman who was born near Boston in 1748. The title was one he bestowed upon himself to fit amongst the elites after he married a wealthy widow and moved to Boston's well-to-do Charlestown neighborhood. Throughout his life, he made strange and idiotic decisions to make a name for himself and to increase his wealth and was oddly successful because for some reason, wealth and power attracts the weirdos in the late 1700s the continental dollar America's first form of paper money failed to gain any public trust and so many of the wealthy people tried to do a good deed quote-unquote by buying from the public some of the bills Dexter thinking it as an opportunity to earn respect invested all his money and his wife's money in the now discontinued dollars and bought boatloads of the bills for pennies Miraculously, the U.S. Constitution was ratified towards the end of the 18th century and it was decided that the bills could be traded in for treasury bills at 1% of their face value. He became immensely rich. Later in life, when a neighbor tried to bankrupt him by giving him the idea to sell bed warming pans in the West Indies, he took the advice and voyaged to the West Indies with 42,000 warming pans. There, he realized that the territory enjoys hot weather all the time and there was no demand for warming pans. He rebranded them as laddles and sold them to sugar and molasses plantation owners. The demand was such that he ended up making 79% in profits. Another time, a trader convinced Dexter to sell coals in Newcastle without mentioning that the place already had a large coal mine. Oddly, when Dexter reached the place, The mine was on strike and people flocked to him for coals. He came back with one and a half barrels of silver from there. Blood twist. I think it says a lot that many people around you are trying to bring you down or make sure you end up impoverished or impoverished (laughs) or at least wanting to hurt you in some manner. And I think that speaks more about yourself than the fact that he has this Midas touch that he keeps luckily and that's what it is it's luck some people are just born with a lot of luck doesn't mean that they're smarter doesn't mean that oh they just did something that was no they're just fucking lucky (laughs) it's a lot of people in the world are billionaires right now that are just fucking lucky surrounded by other people who had an idea or you paid other people for their ideas and that's how it goes most of the people that's making most of the money are the dumbest fucking people you've ever met he also was self-published author his memoir a pickle for the knowing ones had no punctuation and was full of errors it was a complete mess he didn't sell the copies of the book but rather gave them away the demand was so high though that a second edition was printed One of the most peculiar things he ever did was organizing his own mock funeral. He hired a few trustworthy men to make the arrangements, distributed cards carrying the news of his death, and planned a lavish funeral complete with fancy wines and exotic liquors. His family was to do their part. 3,000 people showed up at his funeral. But when Dexter saw from his hiding place that his wife was smiling, (laughs) he was enraged. Why are you mad? later he quietly entered his kitchen and caned his wife in front of all the funeral guests creating a commotion because he was supposed to be dead and there he was grinning at them what kind of megalomaniac type of shit is that 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 is mr dexter a man that lived his life as a weirdo and got rich and everyone hated him (laughs) Well, they didn't hate him. They kind of saw him as this, he would be, and that's why I also picked the story, one of those back in the day, uh, what we call them now influencers. He's one of the influencers. I mean, he had money to back up his influence. From a zero to a hero, French Canadian soldier, Leo Major was only 19 years old when he decided to join the Canadian army in the year 1940 to prove his father that he was someone his father could be proud of as most boys tend to do he and daddy major did not get on well and his daddy issues were result in him becoming the most impactful soldier one of the most impactful soldiers during the second world war during the battle of the Scheldt in the year 1944 he was given the task of military observation in Zeeland, the netherlands on a cold and rainy day when he spotted two German soldiers walking along an embankment. Leo instantly attacked them and captured one of the soldiers. He tried to overpower the other using the captured soldier as bait, but the soldier tried to use his gun and Leo killed him before he could shoot at him. He went on to use the live soldier as bait and captured their commander. He shot three more soldiers dead, which compelled others to surrender. He then proceeded to march all the captured soldiers Ninety three in total to the Canadian front line. Y'all give me to put y'all up on something, man. Yo, when you see something ill, you know what I mean? That shit is woke. Anything ill you see is woke. Uh-huh. Nigga, have a big six at the curb. That's woke. Okay. Especially if you got the fully equipped kid on it. It's woke. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yo. Do you know how embarrassing it has to be? to overpoweringly can take on one person and you're just like fuck it (laughs) he's too strong for us a year after that in april 1945 he was near the city of zawali the netherlands along the along with the rest of his regiment the city was occupied by german troops while being there the regiment's commanding officer asked for volunteers who could check on the number of german soldiers against whom they would be fighting the next morning leo major and another soldier corporal willie arsenal quickly agreed to do the assessment corporal willie however was killed in the night when their positions were detected this only fueled leo's determination in a fit of rage he killed two enemy soldiers and the rest fled after witnessing this because they're like oh Run! It's what what up what what up blood what what up gangsta leo continued alone and soon noticed a german vehicle he took the driver hostage and made him drive to a bar where a german officer was drinking first he fought and took the officer hostage but decided to take a calculated risk of letting him go after telling him that the canadian artillery would start firing at the German troops at 6 a.m and it would cause huge casualties. After letting the officer go he went around the city causing as much noise as possible to terrify the German troops throwing grenades and firing a submachine weapon. He also captured groups of Nazi soldiers and marched them to the Canadian front line. He set Gestapo headquarters on fire and fought with eight enemy soldiers in the SSHQ in the fight he killed 4 while others fled quickly the terrified german troops vacated the city by 4:30 a.m. and Zawali was liberated by one single man A fucking teenager oh my god why why do we not get these stories during one world war ii history class then we would have paid attention like hold on we had an actual rambo out in this bitch michael Molloy was a homeless irish man who lived in new york in the 1920s and 1930s he was a former firefighter and is famously remembered in history as mike the durable and iron mike who survived numerous murder attempts by five of his acquaintances, who would have gained $3,500 through an insurance fraud if the ploy had succeeded. Tony Marino, Joseph Red Murphy, Francis Pasqua, Hershey Green, and Daniel Kreisberg together hatched a plan to kill Michael and prove the death accidental. They even had included a corrupt insurance agent in the plan and started to work on their plan in January. Michael was an alcoholic and Marino, who was the owner of a speakeasy, thought that if he gave him unlimited credit, he would drink himself to death. Alcohol consumption is a good thing too. Although Michael did abuse the credit and the bottle, he kept appearing in the bar for free liquor. Seeing the plan failing, they even started to mix antifreeze in his drinks, but still it did nothing to him. And he continued to drink as usual because he's secretly major pain. <laughs> Next, antifreeze was substituted with turpentine, then a horse liniment and rat poison, but nothing could kill him. Why won't you die? Rasputin, much? That's the same issue they had killing Rasputin. It's like, I don't know what the fuck this dude is, but he's got to be the devil because we ain't tried to kill him 15 fucking times and he ain't dead yet. At one point, Francis Pasqua claimed that he saw someone die after eating oysters with whiskey, so they made him eat raw oysters soaked in wood alcohol. This failed to kill him too. (laughs) When they finally learned that nothing that Michael would ingest could kill him, they looked for other ways. One night, they made him drink until he passed out. He was then carried outside and dumped in the snow. To make sure he would die, they poured 19 liters of cold water on his chest and left the scene. The following day, Michael appeared for his free drinks. Bitch, what the fuck? What the fuck? In case anyone is wondering why they just didn't, I don't know, put a bullet in him. They need him to die of natural causes so that they can collect the insurance money because believe it or not, insurance does not cover all all acts of death where you would get a compensation plus they don't actually want to kill him they want to benefit from someone they believe is a walking corpse and considering what he's ingested and continues to drink <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna have to agree after that y'all, yeah, after that they hit him with a taxi moving at 72 miles per hour <laughs> but he recovered within three weeks he came back to the bar for more drinks you can't get rid of me bitch! I'm not going nowhere I'm not going no fucking where tired because I would be at this point they took a final approach and one night after he had passed out they put a hose in his mouth and connected that to a gas jet because fuck it at this point is it's just figuring out if this motherfucker's (laughs) immortal like how how can we kill you? We need to know what the success story is going to be. Well, this was the success story because the the gas definitely killed him within an hour, and he was pronounced dead of labor or lobar pneumonia. However, the police got suspicious when they heard stories of Mike the Durable in the town, and eventually the ploy was discovered because who is not talking about how many times they tried to kill this motherfucker and he's still alive? Everyone knew at this point that he was. Targeted for death. They were able to kill Michael finally, but never got the money that they wanted. So, all of this was for nothing, but made for a shit ton of comedy when I was reading it. And that is going to end our Jones Chronicles for this week. If you have any ideas, thoughts, feelings, emotions, your couch at gmail.com you can leave a comment below. Next week, we're going to talk about the black executioner black jesus and the korean mother teresa (laughs) more on the cult side of things that i know you love so much once again feedback below like share subscribe until the next time until the next time, peace, hair grease, and blacker magic. While I get into my feelings for a second, usually I keep it damn but today I gotta tell it. Not that anybody gives a fuck anyway, but everybody talking shit probably sucks anyway. Y'all don't even know how I feel. I don't even know how I deal. Today I really hate everybody.